Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen and tonight's reviewing the papers we have news hound Sajila Kershi and information Labrador Andrew Doyle. Uh, how are you doing? Actually, I was thinking, you've just spent a long while going through the newspapers. Do you miss the days when newspapers used to have free CDs on the front? Oh, yeah, or any I, kind of free gifts yeah. on the front. You just yeah. don't get them anymore. I just remember the comics in the magazines having freebies. No, like, sometimes the tabloids used to, but I do. I remember the Beano used to have things like a sherbet fountain every now and then. That's what I want to go back to those days. You know? <gasps> sherbet fountain. It would make me God. read read newspapers more. Yeah, yeah. Maybe have a yeah. separate part of the show where we review the freebies. Yeah, <laughs> just coming up with our ideas. Yeah. Uh, but let's get into the front pages, and we will start with the Daily Mail. Uh, Javid, NHS must protect wards for women only, is their main headline. They also have a picture uh, with this story, pressure on Sunak, as it emerges wife chose to be a non-dom. We'll be talking more about that in today's show. Uh, we're moving on to the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Sunak allies claim number 10 is undermining Chancellor, so it was their fault that she decided to be non-dom. Um, uh, moving on to the front page of The Independent, breathtaking hypocrisy of Sunak on tax status, Chancellor and wife urged to come clean on finances, but also that picture, city that paid grim price for resistance. To The Guardian, uh, Sunak's wife may have avoided £20 million in UK tax. They've picture, picked a picture that certainly doesn't make it look like they are struggling for money. Also on the front page, limit waist size to half your height, Britain's told, which means I need to get taller. Front page of the uh, Financial Times, uh, Rousseau becomes first Russian group to call for butcher war crime inquiry. Uh, moving on to the front page of the Times, Sunak fears revelations over wife are hit job. Also going with the story that Kiev begins to bloom again after Russian withdrawal. And that story at Britain's urge to grab tape measure in battle against obesity. Tape measures lie, trust me. Uh, front page of The Sun, Rishi, lay off my missus, who's almost going the full Will Smith on that uh, particular story. And then to the Daily Star, plea over Chris Panic, pack it in. Shoppers strip shelves ahead of uh, recipe change, and they tell us that apparently people are so upset with the idea of uh, recipe changing, they're eating all the crisps. And those were your headlines. So we start with The Independent, and does Rishi Sunak's wife, who lives in Downing Street, live in the UK? Turns out that's a harder question to answer than we thought, Andrew. Yes, so a lot of, as you see, a lot of the front covers are going with this story. Some people accusing her of hypocrisy. Uh, so effectively, Rishi Sunak's wife, um, Akshata Murthy, whose father is one of India's richest men, so she's not short of a bob. Um, she uh, is... Um, She's a citizen of India, and India doesn't allow dual citizenship, so she is treated as non-domiciled uh, for UK tax purposes. And that is the law, and, and, and no one is breaking the law here. Um, the figures here, it says in this article here that uh, the uh, income, she's not liable for overseas earnings, but uh, dividends from her father's company came to 11.6 million last year. Uh, and apparently that means a lot of money could have gone to our, mm. our tax coffers. 
but no one's breaking the law here. I think this is really important to remember. Mm. No one's breaking the law. Uh, no one's done anything wrong. Um, it, it's more a moral question of, of whether she should be volunteering more money, I suppose. Well, it's interesting because um, there are, you know, she hasn't broken any rules, but, and she is paying the 30,000. I think if you are living at the last seven to nine years, there's 30,000 mm. that you can volunteer, which she has volunteered, she has paid. And because her father is Indian, and that was kind of like she's still got her nationality there, um, she, that's, that's how they... So, so she's paying Indian taxes. Yeah, so she's yeah. paying taxes on the money she's earning there. So she's not going... You know, she's not actually... And I do think, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think, you know, they've been quite transparent. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting that either, you know, immigrants are blamed for, you know, taking all the money... And now they're they're earning all the well, money. Well, <laughs> I think it's really I think it's really because and and as this article points out that this revelation came about at, on the day uh, that Sunak hiked taxes for millions of workers. So Labour are now using this to sort of suggest again that the the, the Tories are out of touch. You know, it's one rule for them, another rule for other people. But I come back to this point that they are following the rules. I quite like mm. Rishi Sunak's approach to this, where he's basically said, "Our wives are not fair game." You can't come over, and he's actually. So people have actually compared. He's compared himself to Will Smith. Oh, really? He's yeah. actually compared himself, saying his wife is not fake. And does this mean he's going to start slapping journalists who ask him the question? No, he's too, <laughs> he's too small. He shouldn't do he that. It's not for a small man. But I think you know. Obviously, this is all it is. It's like it's benefiting the rich, but it's it's that they're just earning a lot more money. Yes, of course they're out of touch. Rich people usually are out of touch with you know everyday people. But do you want people who aren't in touch in charge of setting your tax rate? No. I don't, <laughs> but that's not the point, is it? It's like well, whether they've broken the law or not. So, you know, because you, you, you've already said before that you don't, you're actually very, very kind of specific. Like if somebody breaks the law, then they break the law, and the law yeah. is the law. So they haven't. They just earn a lot of money. There's also, and, you know, he's obviously married into money as well. Um, and there are other non-doms. I didn't even know what a non-dom was until I had to, you know, I thought it was something to do, you know, maybe that she, she wears... The leather trousers, she, or the, or which the, is not a dominatrix. Electric trousers. No, I yeah. don't think that's what it. That was the yeah, Tory yeah, party in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, that's fine. Most Asian women do wear the, you know, the latex trousers at home. No, that's <laughs> a very different kind of dom. dom. Yeah, that's a very different kind <laughs> yeah, of dom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are others. Roman Roman uh, Abranovich, um, and also another Indian, uh, the uh, steel tycoon Lakshmi Mittal. Lord uh, Rotherman, Daily Mail owner. Yeah, yeah I mean, so they, they're all doing the same thing. It's been going a long time. There's no, no, you know, everyone knows that it happens. Everyone's been transparent. Mm. No laws are being broken. I think the point you raised, though, is quite interesting, isn't it? That if you have someone who is that wealthy, that privileged, and, you know, as you say, she's connected to one of the wealthiest families in India, uh, do you want someone of that kind of privilege in uh, number 10? You know, is, is that the case that people will be, mm. find that a bit rebarbative? I mean, you remember when David Cameron was. Uh, Prime Minister, his cabinet, I think, were mostly Etonians, independent millionaires, and uh, it didn't seem to put people off at the time. To be yeah. Honest. It's interesting. I take the point about not breaking a law, but it's also not against the law to say, I hate poor people, but you wouldn't want the partner of someone who's the Chancellor to say that sentence. So it's not just about whether it's legal or not. It is about this. Has she said gonna, she No, no, my, that's no. why it was an example. Like, it, <laughs> you can list things, just because something's yeah. not against the law doesn't mean it's exactly the kind of character you want in number 11 Downing Street. No, but it's but funny. Is being rich evil? Is being rich in and of itself? No, but if you are doing well with... Um, uh, trying to pick the appropriate ver verb here, um, acting like Neo in the Matrix to taxes, then raising other people's taxes, does that not come sure. off as a little yeah, bit yeah, wrong? Yeah, no, that is, that, 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 obviously that's, you know, I'm going to say, it, it, it's, 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 un, it's, it's horrible, it's nasty. It, it, of course it is, but I'm just saying, you know, if we're going to be siding on the law, mm. they haven't broken any laws, 
Um, however, he never, Rishi, I don't know about you, but he, he doesn't strike me as someone who's come from a wealthy background. He just looks like someone who's done, you know, done good. Like, you know, like a pick a pocket or two when he was young and then he just got into, you know, to 10 Downing Street. Do you well, think he drives a Kia Rio? Did you uh, fall for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think, uh, he's, you know, he was he was a bit of a rebel in his time. Well, I don't know. He never comes across as someone who's come from... It really? Privilege. He comes across as pretty posh to me. And, of course, he's married. He's married well. That's, that's he's like. married well, but I don't know if he... Well, he's, I, I should Google that when I go home, what his background is. Well, I mean, these days he's doing all right. Didn't he have a Bluetooth-enabled cup heater thing, um, which was worth, like, 300 quid? Why shouldn't he? Why yeah, shouldn't I mean, why shouldn't he? he? Absolutely, but, why shouldn't he? I mean, how, how comes his cup uh, earns more than I do? No, that's something to be hated for, isn't it? So let's hate him for that. Like, how dare you have that? How dare he? How dare he, Steve? Well, he could sell it and spend the money on nuts. <laughs> yeah, it, it would yeah. be wise, though, wouldn't it, if the Tories yeah. had for their next leader someone from a working and class if background? if you're listening, yeah, Rishi, take us out for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> if you're sorry, if you think he's a little bit sorry, a little bit guilty, I think he should be giving something back. Maybe a street party for everybody, all the GB viewers. <laughs> Fill up my car next time. Uh, let's move on now to Friday's Guardian. Russian troops have more evidence of what the Russian soldiers have been doing this time. It looks like it comes from the Russian soldiers themselves, Sajila. Ah, OK. So, um, the Russians have intercepted casually discussing killing of civilians. So um, German spies have said that they've intercepted radio transmissions from uh, Russian soldiers. Um, is that right? Russian mm. troops recorded of talking... Yeah, I'm just making sure it's the right story. Um, yeah, uh, soldiers discussing indiscriminate killing of civilians. So basically they've been overheard saying things like, oh, um, you know, it's just like a casual conversation. Oh, we're going to, you know, um, kill... Uh, we're going to, you know... Um, why don't we just like kill them? Uh, question soldiers. Was it question soldiers first, and then you shoot them? Another one described a shooting civilian of his bicycle, which echoed a photograph of a dead man next to a bicycle that drew international, um, you know, outrage. And um, the, 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 the magazine is called Der Spiegel. Uh, that's kind of revealed this. And according to Der Spiegel, um, these Russian soldiers are just acting like it's an everyday occurrence like killing people. And I guess that's what happens in conflict, in war. Um, people lose their humanity very, very quickly and think that it's OK to do this. It becomes normalised. Um, and I, I don't know how much truth there is in this, obviously, because, you know, you do... Which we've got to be mindful of. I'm not taking sides because I think what's happening in Ukraine is awful, but there is always propaganda on both sides that comes out. Um, and it just seems really weird that it was only a few weeks ago that there was nothing happening. And then all of a sudden, all these terrible war crimes are being committed. And that, that's escalating very, very quickly. But I think what essence of this story uh, in The Times really is that, um, that, that the Russians are treating it like it's just an everyday occurrence. Like, hey, you know, we're going to go and get some milk. And they're talking about killing people, real mm. people. Is that the way that strikes you as chilling as well? I mean, there are, there are two sides of it. The acts and the way in which apparently it's spoken about yeah, really I mean, sends that shiver up the spine. You do. I mean, you, this happens in every war, as Sajila was, was saying. And I remember in the Iraq war, there were similar things, recordings of soldiers being very flippant about the, uh, the atrocities that they committed. It is something... Well, there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, partly because if you are... Uh, of a sort of a, a psychopathic bent, the army is a good place for you to legitimise your behaviour. And there's always a few, and I'm not having a go at the armed forces, but there's always a few who will use that in order to behave in that in that way. And as you say, war does things to people. Mm. It, it, you know, they begin to dehumanise others. Uh, so there's all sorts of reasons why I can believe that this has 
has happened. But I think what is very uh, interesting is that the world is waking up to the atrocities. We've seen sort of the footage now. This is just sort of adding uh, to that. Um, I mean, we've seen today there was a vote at the United Nations and it turns out that Russia has been suspended from the Human Rights Council uh, as a result of the evidence relating to, obviously, the, uh, what, what, what Ukraine, what Zelensky is describing as a, a genocide. And there are undoubtedly war crimes going on here. So I think this just adds, adds to, it. to, to but that. But interestingly, the only other country that's ever been suspended uh, uh, previously uh, is Libya. And they got booted out at, in uh, 2011 amid uh, violence against protesters by forces, um, you know, loyal to them, uh, the leader at the time, Gaddafi. Mm. And so this is a huge thing because there's only been one other country. I think 2006 it got set up. Um, uh, so it's just being suspended from the Human Rights Council is not a small thing. Um, Does it not make sense, though, that you can't be on a Human Rights Council if you are yeah. Yeah, you uh, involved you in war crimes? Well, the thing is, 93 voters voted in favour 24 against, and one of them was China, who have obviously are allies of, of Moscow, Iran, Kazakhstan, and even Russia themselves, mm. right? So that's interesting. And 58 abstained, which include Brazil, India, Mexico, and Senegal. Um, they basically just want um, to urge more kind of like diplomacy. Although the results, if you look at that, I know this might be unkind, but that voting pattern is reminiscent of the Eurovision. <laughs> you can kind of tell which countries are going to vote with which Well, countries. Eurovision is incredibly political. As you know, I mean, yeah, it always has yeah, been. Yeah. And they may as well, they should just fight all wars through Eurovision. I agree. Just oh my songs. God, that'd be so cool. Geneva would not have a word of it. That would be too much suffering. <laughs> but we would still be Royaume-Uni, nul point. Yeah. Everybody true. would say nul point. Why do they all give us nul point? Stop, world. Because we keep producing songs that violate the Geneva Convention. They're absolutely <laughs> appalling songwriting. That's the problem. Can we please get better songs in so we don't get nul point anymore? Well, Everybody knows nul point if you don't know any other, don't, any other words. Don't set your sights too high. We'll never do well at it. Just just enjoy the weekend. Drink every single time it gets low scores. That's what I do. Let's <laughs> so move on to now Friday's Times. It's got news of Boris Johnson's nuclear plan. Does it get a glowing report, Sajula? Oh, it does not. Um, so, um, OK, he's, he wants... Um, Boris Johnson, energy security uh, strategy, bills are not being lowered for three years, right? Um, but Boris Johnson wants the government um, energy uh, strategy to end the blackmail that we're getting at the moment, and I kind of concur with that, I'm sure we'd all do, that because we're always relying on fuel and, and energy from other countries, we're having to kind of, you know, kind of liaise with, do deals with really unsavoury types like Saudi and Iran and obviously Putin. So he's proposed, I believe, eight, eight different, um, was it eight different... New, nuclear power. Yes, yeah. nuclear power. Yeah. Nuclear because reactors, he, yeah. he says, we're bringing nuclear home. We're bringing football home, don't we? Not nuclear home. We're bringing nuclear home, one nuclear plant, one nuclear reactor every year for eight years rather than one decade. This is Johnson. Um, and, I, and, and the, you know, the wind farms, people obviously feel that it affects the beauty of the, uh, the countryside. So he's wanting to do that offshore. Um, I think I think it's a good thing because well, I, I mean, think we do need to be a bit more self-sufficient. I mean, you know, people who vote Brexit, we want to be self-sufficient, then we've got to start now. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the war uh, uh, in Ukraine uh, has sort of brought this to light because, of course, now, you know, 
gas and oil from from Russia is such a big export and and you know to be self-sufficient is probably a good thing but irrespective of that I mean there are all sorts of good reasons I mean if you look at the way that France implemented nuclear power many decades ago and now it is really reaping the, the benefits of doing that but it does take a long time you know so I think implementing it now setting up nuclear reactors you know even many environmentalists are now coming around to the idea of nuclear power whereas of course traditionally they always opposed it mm. and now they're very much seeing it as a clean energy sort of a relatively clean energy source and you know it's, maybe but, this is the way to go. But I think obviously the downside of this that is that obviously energy bills for, for, for everyday people, this is not going to help them in the immediate sort of, yeah. uh, you know. No, this is a long term strategy. Yeah, it's a long term strategy, which I, uh, which I agree with, but it must kind of also look at how this is still, it's still a hard, going to be some really winters of discontent for the next three years until this gets like kind of, you know, mm put away really basically happening. Let's see what the Friday's Telegraph tells us next. It could be, uh, could the far right be keeping France occupied again, Andrew? I, I always find French politics quite confusing because I can never anticipate who's going to win these elections. It's always a bit of a surprise. But this is uh, Marine Le Pen, who is now attempting this new strategy in the run-up to, to the election. She's vowed to find Muslims who wear headscarves in public. Uh, and, you know, we've got the vote this weekend. She's nearing uh, Emmanuel Macron, according to the polls. So this is clearly a strategy, a tactic, in order to try and uh, to squeeze past him, if possible. Uh, of course, France already has bans on re overtly religious symbols uh, in public spacing, in public spaces, full face coverings in public, that kind of thing, because they have their secular laws uh, in place. But this seems to be a step further, saying that you know uh, Muslims should be fined for wearing headscarves. But it is the kind of thing that is calculated to appeal to her core voting base. Um, but it looks, I mean, apparently the, the polls are pretty close. Um, I remember last time we had the, uh, the election, no one really knew what was going to happen. Some people thought that Melenchon would sneak in because he, he suddenly did very, very well. Throughout the coverage of this election, we've had people saying that Eric Zemmour is, is, uh, is actually going to get somewhere. It looks like he might be splitting the far right vote, actually, from the look of things. But I don't know what's going to happen because Macron, you know, it feels like he's bound to win, uh, but then he's never really been that popular. Even when he won last time, he wasn't that popular. There were so many spoiled ballots. I think it was a record number mm. of spoiled ballots because people voted for him. They held their nose and voted for him. It's because they didn't want to vote for Le Pen, basically. Mm. But there was, some, there was a certain contingent in France, a lot of people in France, who just will never vote for someone called Le Pen. And that's why Macron gets him. But Macron, you know, he's, he's messed up on all sorts of things, not just to do with the pandemic, the gilets jaunes, you know. Or it, he's very unpopular amongst a lot of people. So there's always that chance that Marina Penn could capitalise on that. Uh, but, you know, really banning banning women for wearing a piece of fabric, effectively. Um, well, like I, mean, I say, it's a strategy. But, you know, it's... but yeah, it's a strategy, but come on, you know, that's freedom of choice. It's like, that is no different to Saudi or Iran forcing a burqa or a head covering on a woman. So, you know, there, it's like it's a little bit of hypocrisy there. Like, you know, you want to... And I remember when they banned burkinis, it... burkinis on the yes. beaches, and I was thinking, well, let's ban middle-aged men wearing... Speedos. Well, yeah, let's I mean, I don't do want that. to see their faith. Yeah, I agree with that. Second. You agree with that. I don't want to see one. those faith, uh, speedos. Type. But I do like in the article, she compares it to fines for not wearing a seatbelt. Totally different. You, totally don't wear, different. you don't wear a seatbelt. You could kill someone else when you fly through a windscreen. Is your headdress ever likely to it, kill someone no, else? I agree with Sajina. Like, I, I think people should be able to wear whatever they want, but it, it strikes me as a desperate move, actually. Because, you know, up until now, Le Pen has really been trying to tone down the anti-immigrant rhetoric. He, she's, you know, the stuff that is traditionally associated with the French uh, far right, she's not been, she's been talking about employment and housing and, and stuff that really affects working class communities because that's where she's going to nab a lot of the votes. But this, you know, the fact that she's doing this so close to the, the actual election mm. suggests 
It suggests a desperate move. It's mm. very different I from do her I think it's a desperate move? Because I, I think, think so. it's still, I think it's still to do with immigration because it's a big, uh, large, you know, North African, uh, yeah, it a, is. a Muslim community there, and you know, so head coverings is a common thing, and that, so that is to do with their immigration. That's my point. Issue, you That's know? my point. Is that she hasn't been going down the immigration yeah. route until now. Until now. Until That's my thing. point. I mean, I do remember when I was sitting on the steps of the Sacre Coeur, me and my sister, and we had a long skirt, and I just pulled it up because it was hot, and the police came, and everybody's running up the stairs, and we were like, what, what's going on? And there was like, oh, madame, you know, mademoiselle, can you like, and I was like, oh my God, because I can see my, 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 my drawers, my How selfie drawers. How did you pull this skirt up? <laughs> I know, and ah. I was, I was, I was, I, I was removed from the steps. You were in decent. Yes, I was in, <laughs> I was only, I mean, I wear big pants. It's not like little tiny skimpy things. Oh, so, so the skirt wasn't too high, but the pants were low. Well, no, low I think it was just because I was sitting like with my skirt up. And then so they, and you'd have to really be looking. And they so probably were. They probably were. This is from. You were on holy well, ground. I was on holy were. ground at the Sacre Coeur. Uh, let's move into The Independent now. Among the papers reporting on the first black woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court in America, racism has ended again like it did with Obama. Sajula. I know. Yeah. It's cured. We're mm. totally cured of racism. It's hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, so, Katanji Brown-Jackson made history on Thursday when the Senate voted 53 to 47 to make her the first black woman Supreme Court justice in the country's history. Uh, now, this is interesting because... Back in 1980, Ronald Reagan, during his presidential campaign, promised to nominate the first woman ever um, uh, 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 as, um, as the Supreme Court uh, justice, and that was Sandra Day O'Connor. I don't know if you know about this. Of course, oh. I didn't know either. I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> We're all too young to remember the Google, 80s. Let's Google G that. is an amazing source of information. And Biden did the same thing with his presidential campaign, and he promised that he would like nominate a, the first black woman. And there we are. We've got the first one. And I think this is fantastic news. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris herself, historic, first as the first black in Asian. They got two for one of that one, didn't they? Two for one, half Asian, half black. Come on, it's covering all the boxes. Um, and uh, disabled and, you know, lesbian, she would have got all of them. But um, she, yeah, basically she was there to kind of, uh, you know, hand over the preside, the confirmation vote. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's great because once you've got one in, it takes 20, no, 40 years. Is it 40 years since 1892? 2000. You're doing maths. 40, so 40, 40 years. 40, yeah. 40, yeah, 40 years. Ah. Another woman, but this time a woman of colour to come in. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get a trans in another 40 years. I don't know. Well, you know, it's part of me just kind of wishes, though, that he hadn't have said that, that Biden hadn't have said, I'm going to have a black woman in the Supreme Court. Because now everyone's looking at, at, uh, at this candidate and saying, uh, she's there because she's black. And I think that kind of undermines her achievements. You've got the similar thing with Kamala Harris, because... You know, he, he had made a point during his campaign of saying, well, I'm going to have a woman of colour. And, and then it, it, I just feel that it undermines, because it gives ammunition to mm. the people who want to mm. say, you're only there to tick boxes. That's the only reason you're there. And this is, you know, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson is obviously a, an extremely qualified, very good choice for the Supreme Court. Mm. But now people are thinking in terms of identity politics. And, you know, I think like institutions like the Supreme Court, the judiciary generally, is going to take longer to catch up. It's the same reason why... CEOs in this country are mostly white males, you know, but, but that's because they're mostly in their 60s. And so things just take a little bit longer to to, to catch up. And so, I, I, you know, I, I think it's great that she's been appointed. I wish this wasn't all about identity politics and it was more about her 
the reason why she's been appointed, which is that she's right for the job. Well, um, as, a, as a woman of colour and having been nominated by all women of colour to come and speak for them on this show, um, that is a joke, by the way, people take things literally. Yeah, you can um, get some yeah, tweets. Yeah, yeah, I know, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. who does she think she's talking for? She's talking for me. Um, well... I, I do think it works. it's actually harder if you are if you are then suspect that you've only been there for tick a box. It actually makes your job harder. Yes, it you does. have to work twice as hard. I work three times harder than the boys here. Can I just say? Yeah. Just to prove my worth. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know, I mean, you're setting a bar that you're going to have to try and reach in the next story. Let's see how you do them. Okay. Uh, no, no pressure now. Steve's <laughs> just set me up for a fool now. <laughs> let's move on to Friday's Guardian next. Uh, and Andrew, freedom of information requests are they working? And who who would we be able to write to to find out? Yeah, this is a, a online news organisation called Open Democracy has um, written an open letter, which has been signed by lots of politicians and journalists and campaigners, uh, mostly looking at the uh, the, um, uh, the names here. They're, they are from the left and the right. Um, and this is saying that freedom of information laws are being undermined because when uh, you uh, inquire for freedom of information requests, you put in a, a request, um, there's a, a degree of obfuscation that's going on. Uh, and I've done it myself a number of times where you put in a request and you get a reply back saying, well, we don't necessarily have this information, so why don't you try here? And you go to them and it takes ages to come back and they don't necessarily have the information. And the stuff, stuff you've asked is actually pretty basic stuff that they should know. This is quite uh, interesting, though, because the letter has said, it's quite the accusation, actually. The, this letter has said that there's, the government is sort of the government departments are, are deliberately being non-compliant. That's the accusation here, saying that there hasn't been sufficient resourcing when it comes to freedom of information requests. And actually, I have to say, it is incredibly important. This is one of the ways that we can hold powerful people to account, mm. is, is transparency. Journalists have to be able to inquire and get the answers. Uh, um, this letter specifically mentions not just public bodies uh, that fail to comply with the law, uh, and stronger protocols for government departments that fail to comply. Uh, they actually go a step further and say that they recommend that freedom of information, uh, this should extend to private companies that offer public services as well. Maybe there's something in that. But for me, I think the priority is most definitely government departments. We need to know what they're doing. When we issue a freedom of information request, they should get back to us sharpish and they should have the resources to do so. So I'm all for this. I agree. I agree. Transparency is key. And, you know, uh, the press are, you know, whether we like or not, keepers of, of history. So everything's got to be, like, reported. We need to know what people are up to. Um, we, you know, it, it's in the public interest. All good. Yeah. You mm. know, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Well, let's uh, move on and see if we can get around in the next one. Friday's Telegraph tells us that thieves stole £250,000 worth of diesel, Sajila, at current prices. Oh. What's that, like two tanks? Naughty, naughty thieves. Naughty thieves are stealing more than £250,000 worth of diesel from a, a, a warship. Um, the fuel was meant to be for powering HMS Bulwark, a 19,560-tonne hungry, hungry assault ship it was, and it needed all of that diesel, but some little little rascals came along and siphoned it off, and the alarm was only raised because um, it was discovered because they had a little spot check, like, do-do-do-do-do, you know, a man going around having a little spot check with that, oh, oh, looks like, oh, look, something wrong here, something's gone wrong here, or some of the diesel or something. That's the thing. I'm. I'm actually. I'm, look, I'm not pro theft, but I'm impressed by this. <laughs> I know. I, 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 you wouldn't think, would you? To, that, you know, this is a sitting duck. This is a boat that yeah. is undertaking, having works done to it. It's just sitting there, and and no one's no one's looking after it or expecting this to happen. This. I mean, this could be an Ocean's Eleven film. It's so sort of. It's <laughs> yeah. smart. And I think it's a family, right? 
that just like, do you know what? We're not paying these fuel prices. We're not paying. We're not, you know, these engine, we're, we're not, we're taking what's rightfully ours. And they've probably got a whole family coming in and every day they're siphoning a little bit off. A little bit. It's a massive heist. It's awesome. I know, but I mean, I've, I've walked away with the odd bit of copy of paper, maybe the odd small pen from a betting shop, but you got a bit of brass neck to nick from those people, you know what I mean? 19,650. It's so, it's so brazen. Maybe, you know, I just feel that, you know, I, I think it's an absolutely terrible thing to do, but then part of me also thinks, you know, imagine the, the, the kahunas to, to, to do that. I mean, I, the only thing I ever stole was a walnut whip, and I, I got caught, and I was forced to go to the news agents and confess my crime. And so ever since then, I've never doubled in anything like this, but you know that's it feels it feels like a movie. You would have to nick a lot of walnut whips to get up to that level of money. You won't do it. No, it's not good for you. It was only one. Yeah, your blood sugar levels not worth it. And um, Friday's Guardian now, and is this actual proof that money can't buy you happiness, Andrew? Yeah. So this is a, a new study, uh, and it's going to be published by the Cambridge Journal of Education uh, today. Actually, it's been published. Now, this idea is that um, state school pupils are just as happy as private school pupils. So that's the finding of, of this. Uh, it, this is the UCL research, uh, University College London. It says there's few differences in mental health or life satisfaction among these two groups of teenagers. But teenagers are never satisfied with life, are they? So <laughs> yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect that. But this is kind of this is kind of interesting because they assume that the, the people who commissioned the report and the people who undertook the research assumed that because of the, uh, the advantages that people have when they go to private school, you know, they have uh, smaller class sizes, they have more money thrown at them, they get, uh, you know, the teachers monitor their every move, which means that they get better grades. All of this would lead to greater satisfaction. Turns out teenagers don't care either way. Because, mm. I mean, the, the, the plus side of being at a state, if I think of my school, going to a state school is quite good sometimes, or the sort of, sort of school that I went to, because we could get away with doing no homework at all and the teachers didn't really care, you know, because they weren't being paid. You didn't go away with that walnut whip? No, well, yeah. that, but, that's, but that was pre... I was only four years old when that oh, happened. OK. You, you thought, like, I was 17 when I did that. <laughs> hungry 17-year-old. Like Absolutely Well, not. my, my uh, son went to a state school. I went to a state school. And um, uh, my sister's little girls, they, they're in private school. Um, Are they I'll, happier? I, I'll be honest. They look... They seem happier than my son ever was. <laughs> and I was pretty Is miserable. Is that because of the school? So I don't know. I think... And, I look, you know, their piano lessons, everything, that all the things that I kind of look, would have struggled to get for my son... Um, but as you know, he's really happy now. He's well toned out and, and very sort of streetwise yeah, and stuff now. But I don't know, because I used to teach in a private school. So I went to a state school, but I taught yeah. in a private school. And actually, thinking about it, the pupils at the private school, they get very anxious about very small things. Like if you mark them down, if they lose a couple of gray, uh, couple of uh, points But that was on my life exam. as well. Being, being the daughter of an Asian family, right. you know, you're, we're, we're, we're overachievers. Like, and if you, you got an A, A? You just got an A? Why didn't you get A plus? So know, that's another like, pressure. Yeah, yeah, that's an yeah, added pressure. Yeah. But is this also a story? That's re it's measuring the wrong metric. They're looking at the two different schools and seeing who's happy. Yeah. You don't go to school to be happy. You don't. You, you should, no, kids That's should true. be miserable at school. <laughs> no, they should, because they are learning. They should sit there. They should be disciplined. They should be learning. So th this is a, an odd report. What is particularly odd about this report, though, I did find in the article, it says that uh, after responses were adjusted to exclude the effect of advantages such as higher income, house ownership and better exam results, there were no differences in satisfaction levels. Right. So in other words, if we ignore all the things that make people happier, there's no evidence that people are happier. So it's, people a, are, it's a weird kind of metric. So basically, people are just wasting their money to send their kids to private school. They're not, though, are they? Because Suckers! They, they clearly get... They no. clearly... Yeah. They get to marry billionaires and become chancellor. So oh, yes. marry well. So many advantages. Um, Friday's Daily Mail up next. Ajila, should our school children study Taylor Swift or should we just... Just 
Shake It Off. That's the end of all of the song references <laughs> I know. I was going to go with the Shake It Off. Um, yeah, so basically um, uh, one Latin teacher has suggested that teaching this teaching method, uh, among others, is needed to replace text that promotes stereotypes. So they, they, uh, did you learn Latin? I, I didn't Not at school. all. No. Did, oh, no. Oh, state school and I did Latin. Look at me. I was much happier than you two then. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they, they, they're trying to teach Latin. And I, oh, God, this is another one of those slightly kind of wooky things um, because uh, like so private school does not make people any happier, as we've established. And um, he suggested that people might respond better if translating the chorus to uh, Taylor Swift's uh, hit bad blood because baby now you we got bad blood right does that translate to, into latin with to, yeah he's going to translate to latin to quad care nuns bellum sanguinium herbum it's been a while since i've done latin yeah, it's really very bad well, no, but the thing is, you right? Probably do know the, the thing, no one knows how to pronounce it. They're all all the Latins okay. are dead. But the thing, the thing about this is, the guy who's saying this, the teacher who's saying this, the reason why he wants to uh, teach translations of Taylor Swift instead of Virgil and Cicero and Ovid or whatever, is that he's saying that he's horrified that he used to teach things uh, that had bad attitudes towards women or promoted mm -hmm. slavery, but they were written two thousand years ago. That's why, and you can contextualize that mm -hmm. in a classroom, and kids will understand that. You know, it's it, I think that's it's, history. That was right, that was history. Right. It's like one of the things. The story in the Cambridge course: the slave dealer includes racial stereotypes and jokes about a slave woman being uh, pleasing to men. He was a slave dealer at that time, so he's hardly PC. That what what, what how was he expected strange. to behave? Should we not be teaching our children that this was the history? And I keep saying mm -hmm. this: this was the history. Don't erase it, so that we know that we can't behave like that. And in I mean, the we, we don't know what Taylor Swift gets up to. Could be worse than these people. These, well, these Roman slaves. She she loves players whilst other people love the game. Yeah. So oh, here we go. That's okay. Turns <laughs> I don't know two songs, but I'm pretty sure it's he knows it's all abhorrent. her. It's abhorrent indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and we turn now to Friday's Guardian. It says that some companies have been mixing up headphone reviews and cuddly toy reviews. I need to know about this because I am in the market for a lot of cuddly toys. I'm worried. Yes. Yeah, so apparently, when you uh, look on Amazon, you know, you see the star review and the, 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 the ratings, which magazine has said a number of these items are doing this thing called merging of reviews uh, in terms of uh, items that are related to other items. Uh, so, for instance, I mean, it mentions here specifically cuddly toy reviews uh, among the reviews that you find on headphones. For instance, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, jigsaw puzzles, reviews for umbrellas. And I don't really understand how this has happened, but you know, I mean, you know, there are people who pay uh, for people to, to submit mm -hmm. fake mm -hmm. reviews. So you get all these great reviews going on. But this is a practice that's called merging. And apparently uh, what you can do is you can legitimately uh, uh, merge reviews if they are closely related. If the items, for instance, uh, an item that comes in many colors and you can say, well, the, this review applies to this as well. But uh, unscrupulous mm. uh, manufacturers are presumably uh, paying people to submit reviews that bring in other people, cuddly toys, umbrellas, household objects, which are not related to each other to boost their ratings. So don't try, the bottom line is, we should never trust critics anyway, yeah. but don't trust the critics on Amazon because they're largely going to be bots, aren't they, or, I'm, or I'm, farms. I'm outraged of Surrey, Amazon, because I thought we had a relationship and like, it's like any relationship. It's the lies, the, the lies. lies. These are the lies. They're not even real reviews. I'm so upset but about you should this. never trust them. Whenever a friend of mine has a book out, they always contact me and say, can you just give me a five star review on Amazon? Well, you asked me to do that for you. You're not meant to say yeah. on television. <laughs> Can we move on now? Yeah. Uh, I think I reviewed you as a cuddly toy, so who knows? Um, Friday's Independent now. Science is fat shaming the W boson. Fully explain all of the physics to us now, Andrew. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't understand this story at all, right? So I'm really glad that I'm here to explain it. Uh, so basically, there is a key particle uh, in, the, in the, the foundation of the universe, how the universe works. And, and scientists have now discovered that this fundamental particle is, is heavier than they thought that it was initially. And apparently, the, you know, they've written down the figures here. I won't bore you with it, but the, the, it looks like nothing. But apparently this is massive. And there's been a team of 400 scientists from around the world. They've published this finding. They're all freaking out because they've all suddenly realised they don't know everything. You know, the scientists don't know everything. And I think alien overlords <laughs> created the world. That is my worry with this story, though. Because <laughs> the science part of this story is like, this is great. If something's proven wrong, there's more, more science to be done. Yeah. But you know, if science gets proved wrong and you can clip it and put it on social media and then say, see, science don't know anything. Exactly. Chemtrails must be real. But to be fair, what's very good about uh, the scientists in the, involved in this study is they've said, uh, all of the experts have said, that it is a massive claim and therefore requires extra proof. And they're actually saying, we need to have proof from a second team before we you know, say that this is established, which is actually a testament to the scientific method, which is, yeah. which is about trying to you know, test yourself, prove yourself wrong, in other words, in order to, to establish the truth. It's actually a positive thing. I was being flippant about the warlords, but you never know. You never know. It's like when um, uh, this was a CERN one where they found neutrinos, neutrinos moving faster than the speed of light, and the scientists went, oh, we need to check this. But the newspapers went, Einstein was wrong. Things can go faster <laughs> than the speed of light. Uh, someone put a wire in the wrong place. So there is a chance that, that goes. Uh, but I do love the fact that they, even the scientists say, oh, this could be an interaction with dark matter. That's the go-to line in science. If you don't understand it, blame it on dark matter. No one knows anything about it. Is that what, the, is it like, oh, that, that, that could be an ecumenical matter. It's, it's, it's yes. what you say when you don't, when you want to get out of a tricky conversation. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. That was use, a Father Ted reference. Use that later on. Whenever, when, if there's a story that's difficult, just go, it's probably dark matter. Probably dark matter. Okay. That's what I should have said at the start of this then. Yeah. Rather than trying to blag science. Well, Steve, that's probably a dark matter situation. Yeah, worked well. Any, any dark matter thoughts? Um, you... No, I, I, I concur that it's a dark matter because I know nothing about you this. <laughs> uh, Friday's Sun is keeping it topical. News of what happened to the dinosaurs, Andrew. Yes, apparently they've found an incredible leg fossil. Uh, which ha No, I mean, this, they're saying it's absolutely incredible because it occurred just at the moment that the asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs. I don't know how they've established this. I don't know how it is so well preserved as well. Apparently this leg fossil has part of some, some of the dinosaur's skin attached to it. Um, but anyway, I don't, and I also don't understand how they've managed to date this specifically to this moment, six, 66 million years ago, uh, when the asteroid struck. But apparently scientists are saying that this could be the first physical evidence that the dinosaurs were killed off by an asteroid. I mean, you know, there's been all these theories about what happened to the dinosaurs. Uh, you know, did they just turn into birds or whatever? <laughs> they... mm. I don't know. I'm not a paleontologist. I've got to get angry. Is it dark matter? I think it might have it been might dark have matter. It might have been dark matter, actually. Um, but this dinosaur is called the uh, Thessalosaurus. Paleontologists out there, I hope I'm getting that right. And um, they found this, this item. But th this article is being very cagey about it because I think they're plugging... Uh, David Attenborough's new show because it's all going to be revealed yeah. in this TV show next Friday, which is, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it, I, I will be watching, to be honest, I will be watching that. It's, oh, it's called Dinosaurs the Final Day. So, Julie, do you feel sorry for this dinosaur? That, I mean, all it's going to be remembered for is having its leg blown off by an asteroid. I know, I know. Chat. But was it an asteroid? Because it might have been another dinosaur that ate the rest of it and just left a leg. Do you know what I mean? Like, a, like, like a Henry VIII version of a dinosaur that just threw the leg behind it. <laughs> Henry, uh, I think yeah, you should yeah. let David Attenborough know, because it might be a theory he hasn't considered. Oh, I think you should. But also, can I just ask uh, 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 about around the dark matter? Fossil, fossil is like a dinosaur fossil, right? And then you get fossil fuel. 
So is that like the dark matter decomposition of dinosaurs that we put into... Yes, yeah. it's a way and to then, store energy course, in the carbon bubble. And when we, when we frack, that is an earth fart made from, like, old dinosaur decomposition. This things. is the kind of expertise that we put out there on headlines. That's what, this is what, this is what you're here for. Wait, all that. <laughs> it was a little light-heartedness, people. Uh, well, people write the complaints then. Uh, to the Telegraph, women um, go to Italy if you would like to be sexualised. Is this really shocking news, Andrew? No, not really. I mean, you know, anyone who's been to Italy uh, regularly will know that uh, there is, uh, you know, Italian men have a certain way of interacting with women, I would, I would suggest. But this is a restaurant uh, in Venice. They have a tradition in, in, in uh, Italian, some Italian restaurants, particularly the old, the more traditional types, of giving a menu to the man with the prices on and what they call a blind menu to the woman mm -hmm. uh, so she cannot see how much the man is paying for her meal. The assumption behind this, of course, is that the man is going to pay. So it's one of those sort of old-fashioned things. But, of course, when it collides with sort of a modern-day person from a different culture, and this is an Australian influencer called Abby Chatfield, influence, you know, like a sort of online person, and she's posted on Instagram saying, only men get a menu with prices, patriarchy, in big, bold letters. Patriarchy. No, this is just an old-fashioned Italian restaurant. Mm. That's all it is. It's a bit of a non-story, to be honest. But um, Yeah, and there's no such thing as a free lunch. But uh, in this occasion, if the man earns more as a feminist, as a man earns more, then I'm quite happy for him to pay and I shouldn't feel guilty about how much he's paid. So keep the prices off. Why, do you, why does your feminist status impact the rest of that sentence? Sorry? Why does your feminist status impact the rest of that sentence? Because I want to say that I will pay for my own meal if we earn on the same <laughs> money, if we earn the same money. But if you're earning more than me, well, look, you know, it, come on, so, cut, me, cut me some slack. But I ain't putting out at the end of it. You work three times more than the rest of us, so I guess you're earning more. I am not earning three times... I'm earning three times less, because that's how it works. <laughs> is that right? But if we... So I, I think if we went to that restaurant, I would want you to have a copy of the prices. Um, so actually, now I'm worried that you just order the expensive things. No, no, no. But you know, men, what they do is they itemise, and I've got a couple of friends who've had boyfriends like this, itemise what they've spent on their partners. And so this stops them from doing that. It's just like, you know, whatever the menu is, you're going to oh. pay and you're not going to be... I, yeah. do, I don't really have any strong feelings. I just, I just, well, just I wanted sort, to I have sort some of think, banter like, here. If you go to an old-fashioned kind of Italian restaurant, maybe you expect a bit of some things like that. And maybe if you don't like it, go somewhere else. It's, it's not a big deal. Yeah, if you want I mean, a bit of, of course, sexism. Of course it's anachronistic. Of course it's out of date. Of course it is. But it's not, it's not something we, we need to get particularly upset about. You wait until they make a menu with the calories on, but only hand that to the woman. That's when there's some complaints. <laughs> there should be complaints to that. Um, now let's move on to an Indian fraudster features in Friday's Times. Do they have non-dom status, Sajila? Um... Right. Times. Where are we? This is the uh, someone who was passing themselves off as being someone's son when it's probably not. OK. I, I don't know if I've got that story. OK. Uh, well, I can, drive... I can explain it. Oh, go, go on. Yeah, this, go. Is, this is a fraudster. So, effectively, there was an Italian... Uh, sorry, an Indian family. Uh, the teenage boy uh, went missing. And uh, another individual turned up and said, I am your son. And actually lived... Uh, posed as the only son of this wealthy couple for 41 years. It's a real Martin Gare kind of story. So someone comes in and infiltrates the family and say, I'm, the, I'm your missing loved one. Even though, and what's interesting about this article is this happened even though the wife had noticed that he didn't have a scar on his back, which her son had had from childhood, even though they didn't, he couldn't recognise people in the family albums. And it just sort of goes to show that people wanted it to be true. Mm. I think when, when people have missed their love, it's the same reason why when people go to psychics and 
the seances after they've lost someone. They, they hear voices and they accept what they're hearing because they so desperately want that person back in their life. It's, it's actually quite sad. Uh, but this man has now been um, charged with fraud. Uh, but did he, did he, was he trying to get something out of it? I mean, was he just... The presumption must be because they were a very wealthy couple. So uh, that must be the presumption here, surely. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I agree. If you've lost a child, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine anything so awful. So you would want to believe it. And even if you... And you think, well, maybe even if you're feeling love for this individual, that you would want to yeah. you know, embrace that. There, isn't there like a film around this? Was it Lion or something? Lion? Where no, but you... this, is, this is an old, old... Like the Martin Gerst story, that happened back in... Uh, 16th century France. There was this yeah. peasant family where someone had gone away, left the wife and children, and then another person came back and infiltrated the family, was eventually hanged uh, for the for being an imposter. And there's been loads of films and musicals and various adaptations of that because it is a fascinating idea, you know, the idea that you can come back in and, and uh, assume someone else's role within a family unit. I need to look for someone who's looking for a middle-aged lost <laughs> daughter who's thinking rich and happy to buy me Italian meals. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know how much they spend. I'm, I'm here, Mummy, Daddy, come get me. <laughs> Heartbreaking, isn't it? So we move on to the Times. It says that uh, in America, uh, dogs are treating sick children. Is their healthcare system so bad that they are training dogs to be doctors, Andrew? Oh, well, you had to put a cynical spin on it, on, <laughs> yeah. on an absolutely adorable story. This is uh, what they call facility dogs, uh, and they are brought into children's hospitals. This is in Florida, New York, uh, and what they are there to do is, is effectively help children through the process of healing. For instance, these dogs, they, they, uh, they, they help for patients to coax patients out of bed after a lengthy convalescence, you know, a, a lengthy uh, treatment period. Uh, they've, they've got other dogs who soothe children when they're having an intravenous line. Or, or an MRI scan or something like that, because it distracts the child and the child is focused on the dog. I think it would work with adults as well. I mean, yeah, I just yeah. think dogs are brilliant. I just think dogs are the most amazing creatures. I, I think this is lovely. I mean, you've got like, dogs for the blind, you know, dogs for the deaf. Uh, I might need to invest in one of those when I'll go deafer. Um, horse therapy, um, you know, cats for women, like all men that are on their own. I mean, it's, it's not being <laughs> funny, right? I'm not being funny, but like, what are the animals getting out of this? It's a very one-sided relationship. I mean, it could well be. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it is exploitation, though. I think dogs are just so effective. Dogs just love absolutely yeah, but it's, everyone. It's don't a codependent they? relationship. I'm just worried about that. Do you know? Well, what don't I mean? worry about it because when you die, the dogs get to eat you, don't they? If you, that's why. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't have any pets. I, I don't have anything. I think the spiders will come and get me. <laughs> oh. Well, another dog story, actually. Now, let's move on to Friday's Metro that says that a dog was caught driving over the speed limit. Did he get points on his dog licence, Andrew? Yeah, this is a, a driver in Germany, and he got a speeding ticket. And, of course, we all know what that's like. You get the speeding ticket in the post. But in Germany, they have a photograph. In fact, I think they do here as well, don't they, sometimes? There's a photograph that was taken just at the moment when the car was speeding. But at that precise moment, the owner's dog, this little beautiful white thing, uh, there, you can see the there dog there, jumped up behind the wheel, concealing the driver. So <laughs> it creates the illusion that the dog, in fact, broke the law. The dog was the one who was speeding and, uh, and is the one that should pay the fine. Uh, I mean, he's banged to rights looking at that image, to be honest. <laughs> Doesn't have a seatbelt as well. I, 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 well, exactly. I think that dog's trying to escape from its owner. So I, I've had enough. <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out of here. Um, by the way, uh, I was just thinking of a dog called Fifi, but I just remembered my friend Fiona. Happy birthday, Fiona. I'm sorry, I've, I've just used, used, used my brownie points to go and say happy birthday to my friend Fiona. <laughs> well, because we mentioned a dog. Yeah, because Fifi. Oh, I see. I was going to say, it yeah. could potentially be offensive. Does Fifi it? drive? <laughs> Fifi drives. Okay. So Should Fifi drive? <laughs> 
There's a connection. Yeah, there's a connection. These guide dogs are getting trained better than I used to remember. Um, let's move on to this one then. This is Friday's Daily Star. Sajila, you can share too much information in a job application. Certainly like one I did. do on this show. I think I've given too much away. So um, a job hunter rejected from dream role after he accidentally submitted his STT results. Guys, we've all been there, haven't we? Haven't we? But how did he do it? So he just accidentally uploaded the STD results when he was meant to be putting his, what, his cover letter for yeah. his CV, right? I know. So the, it, basically, the way they've described it is a fumble from job hunter Jack Paul saw him accidentally open it. What's this fumble? What was I he mean, fumbling? Uploaded the wrong fumbling? file. You know? I know, it's the wrong... Um, it, <laughs> I can see why that could happen, but I mean, it's. it's but I love that you said he hopes the blunder will destigmatize sexual health. No, he no. doesn't. Well, yeah. that's he's ridiculous. just mortified that he got caught out and now he's got to style it out. Well, we always say things like clean driving license on, on your job application. That's proving <laughs> even more things are clean. It, it, yeah, it proves moral integrity to your employer. You're not the sort of person who philanders. You yeah. know, fair enough. Do we know that it was. The, the results were in his favour. They were or, negative. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that, maybe that could have been worse if they were. No, they were negative. But yeah, I'm with you. It's weird that he's trying to spin this. Yeah, yeah. He's as like, a kind of, oh. I, I, I can de destigmatize <laughs> sexual health. No, you just messed up with your computer, yeah. mate. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.